And we're back on Ariva Martin in real time. It's Avi Bernard in for Ariva Martin tonight. And it is our number two. Where we get to dive into uh, any any particular topic on a given day. We get to dive in much deeper. And today we're going to be diving into Colorado football and Deion Sanders. Uh, this is a, a, a story and a team and a head coach who have captured the imagination uh, of so many people. Whether you are a longtime college football fan or you never liked college football, Deion Sanders is it has has brought so many people um, into uh, into uh, interest. He's brought he's he's brought so many people into the college football world who who maybe have never been there before. And I myself, as a longtime college football fan, uh, Colorado is a team that I look forward to watching every week. Now, I'm not a, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a Colorado fan, but I'm just so interested. And and what Deion Sanders is doing over there, how he's continuing to be authentically himself, and of course it doesn't hurt to go three and zero in your first three games. And there's no one better to talk to uh, about uh, about this story than KBLA sports reporter Ray Richardson. No debates, no speculation, just the info you need. Welcome, Ray. Welcome to the show. Always great to have you. Hey, Avi. Good to be with you again, man. Always. Yeah, thank you for the time, and especially a day like today. So, we're getting we're getting close to the weekend, and that means we're getting close to a, another Colorado Buffaloes football game. And so, Deion Sanders has gone three and zero in his first three games, and they haven't played the best teams uh, in in college football, at least according to the rankings. You can make an argument that they played a very good team in Week One with TCU. Uh, last year's national runner-up going to all the way to the championship game, uh, a team that beat Michigan in the college football playoff. And and Deion Sanders and his team beat TCU. It's obviously a different team. Don't have their, their quarterback they had from last year, Heisman Trophy candidate. But what do you make of so far of, uh, of the first three games in the Deion Sanders tenure as Colorado football head coach? Well, First of all, for people who who have never heard of Colorado football, this is an education for them, oh, yeah. and and an awakening as well. I don't I don't think anybody predicted the impact and the just straight up uh, revelation and revolution that Dion has brought to Colorado's athletics program. I'm sure that the athletic staff there are probably having a Super Bowl there every week now. Uh, their sports information department has to be on point. I mean, I'm, they probably had to hire some other people to help deal with the crunch of the attention that they've been getting, and I'm sure they're loving it. Um, you know, when Dion got hired from Jackson State, there were people who thought that this is another black man getting a college job at a uh, at a worthless school. You know, a school, a team that was one in eleven the year before. And and the the symptoms of college football have not been kind to black head coaches. The the brothers who have had a chance to get a job at a D one program, they always seem to be landing primarily at schools that even some of your white coaches wouldn't want to be coaching at. And Colorado was one of those programs where you you would you would go there to make to maybe hang in there for two or three years, and then they get tired of you, and then they want to bring somebody else in. Colorado was not a prime destination for a lot of coaches. To to Colorado's credit now, Dion is the third black coach they've hired in a row. 
Hmm. They've had some some they've had two coaches before him, Mel Tucker, who was at Michigan State. Oh. And I, be, I believe, uh, and you know what his what he's going through now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carl Durrell was was before Mel Tucker. So Colorado, to their credit, they've been trying to be they've been trying to show diversity uh, as much as anybody hiring three black head coaches in a row. But this time they, they hit the jackpot. And right now, Dion is changing the landscape of college football. And I've said this before, that if he got off to a good start, uh, he was going to make a lot of coaches nervous uh, mm-hmm. around the country. And because Dion has a has this charisma where a lot of young kids are going to be attracted to him. And he right now is the worst nightmare for a lot of D1 white coaches in the country because now they've got to deal with Dion for the really upper echelon recruits in the nation. You you cannot you can't buy the kind of um, publicity that Colorado has gotten over the last three weeks, even before the season got started. You cannot buy that. If you if you need to put together a recruiting package, all somebody has to do is just turn on the TV, and you're going to see Colorado on TV. You're going to see Dion being interviewed. You're going to see their program being featured. What high school kid in the country? has not heard about Colorado now. And and let me take that one step further. What what five star or blue star, you know, straight up baller high school athlete has not heard of Colorado by now? If Dion wanted to go talk to some of the better prospects in high school today, he he's gonna be able to do that. And now you got coaches like uh Nick Saban at, at Alabama uh, any any big time college coach you want to name, now Dion is in there is in their rearview mirror now, and he's going to be in the same living room that you used to be to dominate without a guy like Dion competing for the recruits. This has got to be <laughs> this has got to be unsettling for a lot of your major Power Five conference coaches and teams. Dion is doing this and and doing it very well and and hopefully he stays above board and stays in compliance with NCAA rules and regulations hope none of this stuff you know comes up to bite him i hope he's doing everything above board and if he continues to operate this way this is just the beginning this is just the the beginning of what could be a a migration of top talent going to colorado of all places of all places <laughs> to boulder colorado <laughs> It's gonna that could be the mecca of college football at some point, and you got to give that credit to Dion for doing that. Yeah, a whole, a whole. You said a whole lot of things there, Ray, and I, I don't think any of them were wrong. Uh, you know, I think to to be in the situation Colorado is in now, where they're three and zero, and regardless of of what happens in this week's game, and we're going to talk about that shortly. Mm-hmm. They're in a position right now to where, as you said, there is no recruit in the country who is not aware of them, who who is who is not at least considering them. And even yeah. Dion came out and said, you know, we're getting all kind of inquiries now. Uh, as soon as they, they won that first game, they're getting all kinds of inquiries uh, from recruits and they're going to have recruits coming to them. And obviously. He, he's going to do some recruiting and that's a big part of the job as, as any college football coach is recruiting, at least in major college football. 
and and Dion's going to do that, but he's also got the advantage, as you said, Ray, of of being on TV every week, being the main attraction, regardless of who else is playing. You know, whether it's Alabama and Texas uh, playing two top ten teams playing each other, Colorado is up there, and they're on the national TV schedule every week right now because <laughs> everyone knows that everybody wants to watch Colorado and they want to be able yeah. to check out those games, regardless of who they're playing and. And so I, I want to talk about just before we get to, to this weekend's game, just some of the some of the disrespect that Dion and his team have faced so far. And it, it seems to happen every week so far. There, there seems to be something that is said or done that can reasonably be uh, interpreted as disrespect towards Dion and and or his team. and. Even with the with the coach last week, Jay Norvell from Colorado State, you know, saying that you know, I wear a hat and glasses, I take my hat and my glasses off when I talk to an adult, and and, and all that that BS, and, and that certainly added flames to the fire of why people wanted Colorado to beat them. But if it's not that, then it's something else. You know, it's 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 another so it's another jab that's being taken at them, and and even this week. When they're going in to, to face Oregon and the Oregon coach, he made some comments earlier in the summer saying that uh, saying it doesn't why did it, Colorado has never won anything. It doesn't matter that they're that they're going to the Big 12 because they've they've never won anything. Mm-hmm. And then he was asked about this uh, this week. And he said, well, those comments weren't about Dion's team. They were about uh, the past Colorado teams. But. If they want to use that as ammunition, go ahead. He's it's, it's like they can't help themselves <laughs> every single week. Uh, so, what do you think is is made? Uh, what do you think we can make of this uh, of this constant disrespect that seems to be headed towards Dion every single week from different head coaches? Well, unfortunately, Dion and his program have had to be on defense every week because of comments like that, like you just referenced, and I, I'm sure that he doesn't want to have to spend time responding to so-called attacks on him and, and how he's doing things and maybe even his character. I, I really thought that what Jay Novell said was way out of line and way out of con- out of, out of bounds. <laughs> uh, it was just really uncalled for. And I think Dion handled that very well. He could have really got back and got down and dirty with him if he wanted to. Now, what people may not realize is that Dion was an ultimate showman when he played. Mm-hmm. He he was uh, kind of like an ultimate trash talker as well. So that is one coach who has a history of knowing how to defend himself verbally. You don't want to get into a verbal warfare with him. That's the wrong coach to want to <laughs> do that with. And to Dion's credit, he he sort of soft-shoed what Jay Novell said. He didn't really make it a, a, a big-time battle. All Dion wanted to do was win the game, and he won that. Um, but I do think because of the way Dion is, has approached uh, his program, so many people were criticizing him before they even played their first game. Mm-hmm. There, there were people having some issues with him the way he turned over his roster. He brought in 83 new players, and a lot of folks had problems with that. But the transfer portal is available to everybody in the NCAA. That is not just something that Colorado was doing. When the NCAA created this transfer portal, 
that was for everybody to take advantage take advantage of. That was not a not a Colorado rule or Dion rule or Dion system. That is an NCAA advantage for everybody. So even before Dion got to Colorado, players were moving around, jumping from school to school because they had the right to do that. You can make one transfer through the portal without sitting out a year. And so many players are doing that before Dion even got to Colorado. But all of a sudden, because it's him and because there's so many kids leaving to go play with him, it's somewhat of an issue. And, you know, a lot of your traditional college coaches didn't like that. But Dion is telling people that, hey, I'm just taking advantage of the system that was given to me to help me rebuild this team. He could not come back here this year with that same team from last year. That was not going to work for him. That was a one in eleven team, mm-hmm. and if he takes, if he keeps a lot of those kids on the roster, you know he's going to struggle. He's not going to be three and zero right now. And then you're looking at Dion and saying, "Well, he's just another, you know, what some people have been calling him a celebrity coach." Well, he doesn't like that. I think he wants to be viewed as a real coach, a legitimate coach, and he's he's proven that. But if he doesn't re- reshape that roster the way he did. We're not talking about Dion like this right now. You know, they could be 0-3 instead of 3-0. He knew that he had to bring in some better talent, and he did that. But because he did it in such an unconventional way to other people, then he gets criticized for that. And then, you know, Dion is, is not a conventional kind of coach. You know, he's not a he's not a guy that would come to a press conference with just his, his sweater on. You know, Dion has been bling-bling for a long time. This is nothing new. But he's doing it in a respectful way as best he can. But some people still have a problem with that. And what Jay Norville said, um, he's lucky that he didn't run into another kind of coach who would have snapped back at him much stronger than what Dion did. Dion had every right in the world mm-hmm. to spank him. And uh, he kind of chose a little bit of a softer approach. And I think that to Dion's mind, I just want to get the W and he got that. No, I agree with you. I, I'm surprised. I, Jay Norville got off really easy. He got off really easy and, yeah. and 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 Dion could have let him have it and he didn't. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because he's found the Lord. I don't know. But he's uh he definitely uh he could have verbally brutalized Jay Norvell, but but he didn't. And I you know it, it, they ended up winning the game, but it, it was close. But in yeah. speaking about that game, that hit that was delivered from the Colorado State player Henry Blackburn. Man, <laughs> And it, it, it's horrible that he's received these death threats. Now, this this yeah. this kid has received death threats because of this hit, and, and that should never be the case. It, it, it was a, a late hit to me. It was a dirty play, but that doesn't mean that that kid should receive death threats. But do you think um, do you think that hit was a result of kind of Jay Norvell? making it a little personal and then and and that kind of creating some extra tension before the game and, and is that is that can that can that hit kind of can kind of be blamed on on jay norvell uh you know what I, I didn't think about it that way before now but now that you put it in that context maybe he had his guys he had his guys amped up big time they matter of fact colorado state played a great game that night they really they came to play you know, a lot of people thought that was going to be a whitewashed, you know, 21, 28 point victory. But they they played. But that hit that hit right there was um, that was one of the dirtiest hits I've ever seen in a football game. He had a chance to ease up and, and pull up. And because the play was already gone, the ball was overthrown. 
the ball hit the ground. There was no need for him to do that. He he sized up Travis Hunter. He he leaned into him and then gave him an elbow to the ribs. And I mean, he really laid into him. It was calculated and it was definitely dirty. He should have been kicked out the game. He shouldn't have been. I, I don't. I don't like the idea of death threat. That's not. That's not bad. That's unfortunate. And Dion said the same thing. He doesn't want that to the kid. But that kid definitely should have been kicked out. And that was definitely not not a football play. And Jay Nova tried to say that was a bang bang play. It happens in football. No, not a bang bang play. No, that was not a bang bang play. That was not two players colliding with momentum. That was that was Blackburn seizing a moment to line up Hunter and really give it to him. That was there was no way that was a bang bang play. No way. Not at all. Not at all. And and we'll we'll take a quick uh we'll step aside real quick to get a news traffic and sports update. I'm sure we'll hear your we'll hear your voice during that update before we come back to talk <laughs> to you again. Uh, but we we will continue to get deeper into this conversation about Deion Sanders and the Colorado football craze right here on KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We're back on Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard in for Ariva Martin today. And I am so grateful to be joined by KBLA sports reporter Ray Richardson. All right, Ray, we're talking about Colorado and that hit from Colorado State player Henry Blackburn, the late dirty hit on Travis Hunter, who is one of Colorado's best players. And now Travis Hunter is going to be out for this really important game against Oregon and next weekend's really important game against USC. Really sad to see. And it something that I think we might want to think about in, in college sports. If a player is injured as a result of a dirty hit like that, the offending player should be out as long as the player he injured. Because if it if if it's just a 15-yard penalty, as you said, right, he didn't even get kicked out of the game. He should have been kicked out of the game. If 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 the only thing deterring you from doing something like that is a 15-yard penalty, and then the other player then has to miss a significant portion of their season, that's not fair. That is not a, a, a fair uh, a circumstance distribution. That is not, that's not, it's just not fair in any way. So that's, you know, I, I don't think that's ever going to happen, but that's just something that I think that that would be dr- justice to me. Obviously the best justice is if, is if it would never happen, mm-hmm. but that would be one way to me that you can kind of deter things like that from happening is if you injure a player on a dirty hit or on a, on a hit that is, con- that is deemed unsportsmanlike, then you should have to miss as many games as that player has to miss. But um, speaking of Travis Hunter being out this weekend, they're, they're going to be out against Oregon and it, it's going to be a tough game. Colorado is 21 point underdogs. Yeah. 21 points. That is that is huge. And odds makers are not always correct. You know, the uh, Colorado was favored by 23 against Colorado State. And obviously they they barely got out of that game with their undefeated record intact. But what are you thinking about this? uh, This Oregon matchup right now? Uh, A quick point on the Hunter thing right quick. Then we'll we'll move on. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, for sure. the NCAA has a rule for what they call targeting. Mm-hmm. And if you get if you get hit with a targeting penalty, that's an automatic ejection mm-hmm. in college football. Um, the referee in that in that case probably could have given Blackburn a targeting penalty, which would have kicked him out the game right then. But he didn't. 
they did flag him for unsportsmanlike conduct. So there was a 15-yard penalty on that play, but the targeting rule, for some reason, was not uh, considered or enforced. And I'm just curious about that, why that – I think well, the referee did like helmet, helmet to helmet stuff is one is the times that I usually see it. That, yeah, uh, but they, but you when a, when a guy launches himself a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, that's part of the targeting uh, rule. And this kid Blackburn, he launched himself a little bit into Hunter, and a referee could have used that as a, a basis for a targeting call, but he didn't. At least they got at least they got the flag for it. But you're right. The the trade off is that Colorado's missing you know, one of the more electric players in college football for the next three weeks. You know, without him, without him this Saturday, this is going to be a major obstacle for Colorado to try to handle Oregon in their own stadium. That's a tough place to play. I've been there for a game and uh, they, those fans really support their team. Oh yeah. This is, this is one game where I think Dion is going to have to really dig in and get his guys mentally ready. And I mean, whatever whatever game plan they have in place, they're going to have to execute it almost perfectly on both sides of the ball to win this game. And right now, a lot of people don't think they can do it. They've had three emotional weeks back to back. And some people think that they they might be emotionally spent. Maybe, you know, we don't know yet, but they, they've been through enough already the first three weeks of the season. Will they have enough left to gather themselves to be ready for a matchup like this. This is their first Pac-12 matchup and and what a way to get baptized. <laughs> what a way to, <laughs> to get what a way to get that first one in to be playing at number 10 Oregon. The the key point for me in this game, Colorado's defense has got to play better than they played in those first 3 games. They've got to take it up a notch. They've got to be able to show Oregon that they can stand up with stand up to them toe to toe. Uh, one of the things that, that Dion is concerned about, he's talked about it, his defense has not played well in all three games. And if the defense doesn't show up and and, and kind of assert themselves from the first snap of the ball, that could be an that's good, that could be a long game for Dion. And and I and I, I hate to hear people if they get beat up really bad, you're gonna you're gonna hear people saying, Well, Dion finally got humbled and he finally got what's coming to him. You know, I don't want to hear that, but you're gonna hear that. If they lose and lose big, so to, to the bottom line for me is that defense. That defense, they've given up 195 yards passing per game, which is uh, which is a lot. 195 yards rushing per game and 265 yards passing per game. Those are pretty high numbers, you know, for any kind of defense to try to win a game. Fortunately, their offense has carried them enough to overcome their defensive issues. But if that defense isn't ready to play Saturday and they're going to be on national TV, now that game has been moved to ABC. They're going to be on primetime again and the oh, whole yeah. country, whole country's going to see this game. Mm-hmm. It'll be, it'll be really, it'll be really sad if, if now we finally see a bad game from Colorado with the whole nation watching, you know, I hope that hope it doesn't come down like that, but man, the, the ingredients for a blowout are there. And if that defense doesn't come ready to play, it, it could be a tough day for Dion up in Oregon. It could be, and I, I see all of the things you're saying as, as very possible. It, it's just so hard to get a read on this team because yeah. in, in week one, they were also on the road at TCU, number 17, the defending uh, national runner-up, and they went and they were 21-point underdogs in that game too. 
Yeah. And they went in and won the game outright by a score of 45 to 42. And and, and what what was a really exciting game. And obviously with the score of 45 to like 42, no one's playing any defense, but their offense can score with anybody. Yeah. And, and Oregon's Oregon it will be the best offense they've faced. I think probably by a wide margin. And it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I and I know that with the way that Dion runs his team really focusing on, on motivating factors, he they're seeing all of the, all the picks that the pundits are making. Mm-hmm. No one is picking Colorado in this game. And, and I know that they're they're The kids are going to take that personally. And, and, <laughs> and as they, they take things personal and then they say, they say that other coaches quote unquote made it personal, but they are going to be taking this personal when they see we, we have beaten a ranked team on the road, we're three and zero, and yet we're we're twenty one point dogs in in this game against Oregon. That's just, I mean, that I, I saw that spread, and I I just couldn't believe it. You know, I, I thought maybe maybe ten. I mean, you, of course it could happen, but that's just that's just a lot of points for a team that that has proven to be formidable so far. Well, that's that's part of uh, Vegas where the odds makers get these from who still don't really truly believe in, in what Dion has done so far. They still don't believe he hasn't proven himself um, in the conference yet. And so this would be a big test for him. <clears throat> one, the one thing that after the TCU game, each game after that has been tougher for Dion and his team. Mm. And here's the reason why. Because TCU, they didn't have any scouting tape on Colorado. They didn't have any film on Colorado at all. They had no idea who they were playing that day. They had no indication at all what Dion was capable of doing and mm-hmm. the talent level he had. But now coaches, they religiously watch film. So oh, yeah. Nebraska, Nebraska staff watched that film. Colorado State's watched the Nebraska film. So mm-hmm. these coaches each week have had a chance to get ready for Dion a little bit better than TCU did. And now you got Oregon, who's coming up next. They've got three weeks of tape on on Colorado now. So the advantages are are starting to shift to the opponents because now Dion can't sneak up on anybody anymore. So this is going to make his players have to respond as best they can because now coaches are going to be trying to take away Shadua Sanders' deep threads. They're going to try to take away his short passing game. They're going to try to try to force him out of the pocket or, or condense his pocket more. Because he's been sacked 15 times. When you get pressure on Shadua Sanders, he, they've had some success against him. So now you got Oregon who sees all this stuff. You know, Dion has proven he's a pretty good coach. He's going to have to show that he can counter some of these adjustments people are going to throw at him. And I'm looking forward to seeing this game. I just hope that Dion has these guys ready. You, and I'm pretty sure he will. But man, this is gonna be tough. This is gonna not go. This is gonna be better, tougher than all three of those games combined. This would be a challenge for him. This is this would be a wake up call for him. This is what D one football is gonna be all about on Saturday. He's jumping into it, and I know he's ready for that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And our our engineer, our engineer Candy Andy said, you know, uh, Shador better be in Brady mode for all four <laughs> quarters. And and that's true. And that's what that's what Shador said after the game when he engineered that that game winning 98 yard drive. He said, uh, I was in Brady mode, uh, obviously referencing Tom Brady. Yeah. And, and so Andy's saying that he needs to be in Brady mode for all four quarters. And uh, I think that's true that uh, they're going to need to play their best game. And Dion has said that they have not yet played their best game. No, they haven't. 
and mm-hmm. and that's true. And and they did have a, a, a it was a tough first half against Nebraska, but they ended up winning that game going away, thirty six to fourteen. So even though their games have gotten tougher to an extent, they did they were able to 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 put that beat down on Nebraska despite Nebraska being coached by a former NFL head coach and Matt Rule. So and keep in mind, ahead. Colorado State had them down by eleven in the fourth quarter. Right. So it took it took it took Colorado really almost three three quarters to get themselves together to to pull that game out. They they can't afford that on Saturday. If they get behind early on Saturday, it's over. There's no comeback in a game like that in that in that kind of environment. And you're missing a key player, and you got a bunch of guys on Deion's team that have never been in that situation before. Uh, you got to you got to set the tone early from the first snap. And if you don't, uh, you're going to be in a in a pretty tough spot the rest of that game. What do you think about that game? That that game against Colorado State was supposed to be a trap game. You know, they were they had played. You know, uh, the TCU. It was it was a trap game. It was yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, so the, and the point of a trap game meaning that the next your your focus is on the game after that, and so that game is is a trap game, and so it, it proved to be a trap game with them almost losing. Yeah. So maybe maybe they they just had their worst game of the season and they can, they'll have a better, a better one coming, uh, coming up this weekend. We'll see. Go ahead, Ray. The, the key, the, the key thing to look at is, is Colorado's front seven on defense. Mm, yeah. If, if that front seven can, can at least control the line of scrimmage or at least stay competitive on the line of scrimmage in key situations, particularly on third down, if they can get off the field on third down on several occasions, they've, they've got a shot. But they've got to they've got to be able to contain that running game. And Oregon's got a, a very experienced D one coach. Bo Nix has been around a little while. He's been in some big time games before. At quarterback, yeah. At quarterback, yeah. I don't I don't think he's going to see too much that has bothered him uh, that he hadn't seen before. So Colorado's pass rush and their linebackers have got to be on top of their game. They've got to be able to shut down Oregon's running game a little bit and also put some pressure on Knicks to keep him from finding his receivers. Now, if they can minimize those big plays by Oregon and, and kind of slow that running game down, they've got a shot. But, man, they haven't done it so far in the first three games. They haven't shut anybody's running game down or passing game. So this is a major test for them, major. There was a coach, uh, there was a coach who said a long time ago, I think he was, I forget his name. He was, I think he was the first coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and his team was awful. And he said, we can't stop oh. a pass or a run. Other than that, we're in great shape. John McKay. Yeah, exactly. That's who it is. Yep. <laughs> we can't stop a run or a pass. Other than that, we're in great shape. Well, when we come forward though, uh, I want to talk about whether this success Colorado is having will impact HBCUs at all because Dion, having come from an HBCU, uh, and I know that part of the reason that people doubted him was because he was coming from an HBCU and people perhaps considered that to be a lower level of competition. Mm-hmm. Can he bring that same success he had to, at, at that level to, to the FBS, to Division 1A? So we'll, we'll talk about that when we come forward right here on KBLA Talk 1580. And we're back on the Real Time. Avi Bernardin for Ariva Martin today, wrapping up our conversation with the fantastic KBLA sports reporter, Ray Richardson. All right, Ray, um, I do want to talk about this, this, uh, this dynamic of, of Dion coming from an HBCU. And there are, there are some notable coaches at HBCUs who have been at HBCUs and are at HBCUs. You know, Hugh Jackson, former NFL head coach at Grambling. 
And, and I thought Hugh Jackson did a great job with the Raiders before I thought he was fired unfairly and they made a mistake by firing him and they, they haven't recovered since. Um, but I think that the fact Dion came from an HBCU was the reason why a lot of people were doubting him. They're saying, yeah, I mean, yeah, you were having success down there at, at the, at the, the one double a level at the HBCU level, but you can't bring that to, to, to division one uh, to, and division one a to the FBS and, and have that same kind of success that you had there. Uh, what do you think about that, about that notion? And, and, and is, and is Dion's, is this success that Dion's having perhaps going to change the perception of HBCUs at all? I hope it does. But but beyond Dion, you you can look at his two players, his best two players, his son Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter. Those were the two guys that I was curious about to see how they would make the jump up. And it didn't take them long to tell people, hey, <laughs> this jump up is not a big deal to us. When they got on the full on the field with TCU, they were making plays right out the gate against them in week one. I was that was the one thing I was wondering about because they 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 played so well against other HBCU schools. To some people, you don't know how good they really were uh, against that level of talent. I'm not trying to throw shade on on HBCU players, but they they weren't going to see the talent the kind of talent they're going to see week to week now that they did back then. There's a difference. Um, so they those two kids made the jump without any problem at all. Um, I don't think there was a question so much about could Dion could, could Dion handle it. The one thing I wanted to see with him was could he manage a game and could he be organized with his game plan? You know, and he he showed up right away against TCU when they got the ball the first time. They were running no huddle. They ran no huddle on that first drive, mm-hmm. and I'm saying, wow, he he knows what he wants to do already, and these kids are are buying into his game plan from the first time they got the ball. You, you would think that with such a new turnover of, of, of players, 83 players, you don't have enough time to run an offense like that. But he came out and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. If you think you can stop us, then you try to stop us. But he ran no huddle on that first drive, and from that point on, it was no looking back. So that whatever adjustment period people thought, whatever grace period people thought about, it really hasn't happened. I mean, he's proven that he knows what he's doing. It's been unconventional to some folks, but he has been successful, and you cannot argue with that. I mean, he has become the story in college football, and the HBCU platform that he had, um, he was very generous with his time at Jackson State. He shared a lot of the wealth at Jackson State. He wasn't just all about Jackson State. He, He brought HBCU with him. Those three years that he was at Jackson State, every HBCU school benefited from that. And they're still going to benefit from that from a, for a long time to come. You know, HBCU schools are in a good place. I mean, they, they're getting, they got a TV deal. They got, they're getting uh, coverage from a, a lot of major news organizations that they didn't get before. The, the money is still coming in from corporate America. They're, HBCUs will be fine. They may not have the the lightning rod with like a Dion to help, you know, raise the flag and carry the torch. But there is no doubt that, you know, HBCUs are around before Dion. They'll be around after Dion. And you all know from and you may want to share this with your listeners later, but there's a there's several HBCU players who are in the Hall of Fame. 
and they were there way before Dion. Mm-hmm. So the the talent base will always be there. There there's not going to be a, a major drop off, maybe for a little while, but HBCU schools aren't going anywhere because Dion's not there anymore. Uh, he did a lot for that system, did a lot for those programs, and they should be they should be happy uh, with Dion. Although they weren't happy with him leaving, mm-hmm. but uh, when he was there. He carried the torch for everybody. You know, I know some people try to, you know, hate on him because they say he wasn't swack. <laughs> but, you know, he didn't have to be swack. You know, he he carried he carried that ball for everybody. It wasn't just for Jackson State. A lot of people benefited from Deion Sanders being at Jackson State for three years. And uh, much love out to him for that. Yeah, you're talking about some of the best players of all time have played at HBCU. Shannon Sharp, Jerry, Jerry Rice. Rice. I mean, um, so many. I mean, it's, Doug it's, Williams. Yeah, yeah, man. So, uh, and I think that I think that the fact that he came from an HBCU will always be part of his legacy, no matter what he does in college football. And I yeah. think path will encourage others to start at HBCUs, even if they do have ambitions of going to major college football after that. Mm-hmm. But in the last few seconds we have, Ray, do uh, you have a prediction with uh, what will happen this weekend, Colorado at Oregon? I don't, man. I'm afraid to, <laughs> I'm afraid to make what I, I, I'm a, I'm a Colorado fan now, like a lot of folks, but I'm, I'm not sure about this one. Um, I feel a little more squeamish about this one than I did TCU. I'm okay. I'm gonna have to watch this and, and just wait and see on this one. <laughs> I'll say I'm definitely taking the points. I'm definitely taking the 21 and and putting a little wager on on Colorado. They might, of course, yeah. you know, they might lose, but you you can't just leave those points on the table. If you lose, you lose, but you can't be afraid to to take a a bet like that. I think that is pretty high, though. I agree with you. That is that's that's a little bit that's up there for for a three and zero team. To be uh, going in twenty-one point underdogs, that's that's different. I'm I'm not sure how you relate to that. Yeah, but Ray Richardson, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Always a pleasure. Uh, great stuff, my brother. Talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. When we come forward, Robin Ayers will come at you. Will be coming at you with the Raw Report. I'm Avi Bernard, and I am gone.